what is up designers and welcome back to the grand design podcast um this is kind of like an emergency message that i'm pushing out into the world because i think the world needs to hear it now at this time particularly you know with all that's been going on let me look at the date what date is it it's may 30th 2020 and i'm pushing out this message because i feel like the the world at large is in a really tumultuous place recently with the death of George Floyd with the coronavirus everything that's been circulating has been putting people in a state of sheer panic number one uh, a state of sheer violence uh, you know basically a state of pretty much frenzy and it has been resulting in a lot of turmoil in multiple cities across the country and uh, in terms of coronavirus in multiple countries worldwide you know I think there were recently riots down here in LA riots in Atlanta, Georgia, riots in Minnesota, um, riots in New York. You know, there was a lot of things, some of them peaceful, some of them not so much, some of them actually involving violence, but there was a lot going on around the country worldwide. And so I'm putting out this podcast episode, uh, I'm pretty sure I'm going to name it The Hard Truth About George Floyd, because, you know, I'm really coming on this podcast to say I understand the emotions that people are going through. And I'm also going to say because I am black, because I do understand these emotions that I wish people would also understand, regardless of how people use this as a, you know, the rise as a straw man argument, regardless of what the facts around that may be, the fact of the matter, I believe, is that the world, as it's handled everything, is handling this the wrong way. And these types of reactions are the reason that... A lot of the destruction in our communities, a lot of destruction in the world at large continues to, you know, perpetuate itself in such a cyclical way. You know, I was looking at my, I mean, I'm I'm from Baltimore. We had the riots in Baltimore, what, four or five years ago, half a decade ago, something like that. And the way, you know, they handled the death of Freddie Gray in Baltimore, even before that, the death of, uh, I don't remember who it was, the guy in Ferguson, you know, a lot of what people are experiencing in that regard perpetuates the same happening on a three or four or one year one day one month cycle over and over and over again and this message is really a regard you know how i regard the cycle and how i think the cycle is most easily broken and this is not just a you know an ideology or concept that can be applied to people rioting this is something that i believe can be applied to really any area of life or any event in life that people are experiencing evolving these types of mindsets and these energies okay so maybe if you're uh you got a bad relationship with somebody you know maybe if you got a bad relationship with your parents maybe if you got your know, bad relationship with friends maybe if you're constantly getting new friends or constantly getting new family members i don't know how that happens unless somebody marries into the family or something like that and things are just constantly going awry and this even applies to things like your career your business pathway why are things constantly failing for you? Why are things constantly being awry? Why are you constantly in a dark spot? You know, why are these things happening to us, right? You realize that there will be riots unless we adopt this one secret, unless we adopt this one mindset years from now. And, you know, we're, we're going to grow old and see riots happen all over the country perpetually until we learn this one thing. And it's not a secret at all. It's something that's widely well known, but very little people understand it. Widely known, very little understood. Okay, and so without further ado, I'm going to get to talking about those things. Uh, 
I know I'm kind of like talking like I'm in a frenetic state of mind, but you know, it's actually a beautiful night. It's about 3 a.m. So I guess it's like a 3 a.m. conversation that I'm glad y'all hopping on and talking to me about. Um, you know, it's about 3 a.m. at night. I'm walking down by the apartment complex in a parking garage. Hear the crickets, the sound of the city of Los Angeles. It's all beautiful, you know. And um, I want to take, you know, take in advance. I'm not like all these other identities on the Internet that are, you know, hard-nosed. They're stubborn. I want to say in advance, man, uh, this podcast is probably going to ruffle some feathers. This podcast is probably going to rub people wrong in their emotional way. And if I do that to you, I only have good intentions. I apologize if I made you feel a way that was a slightly less than palatable. And I also want people to consider who are listening to this podcast. If you are experiencing some of these things, maybe it's because you're coming from the wrong paradigm. Okay? You know, good news, the truth, great information, great vibes, great feelings, the higher level frequencies of the world often disturb people who are in the lower paradigms and in the lower frequencies. So that's something that you should consider also. You know, a lot of us in the world, we have a filter in front of our brain. Uh, and if we're in a lower paradigm, everything that comes from a higher paradigm goes through that frequency and uh, becomes disturbed. And that's why, you know, oh, man, this is a big thing. This podcast is all about moving the ideas in your head out into the world in the form of mass movements. But a lot of people in society, particularly people who mob together and join in masses, they think from that lower paradigm. So some from a higher paradigm comes with a beautiful idea. And then they pass it through society. And because it's passed through society, that idea becomes muddled. And it becomes a lower paradigm idea that is not really, uh, you know, it's not really um, serving of its original purpose. And that's why you see things like this. I mean, the news article from Los Angeles Times, man, they were just talking about Black Lives Matter. They said the riots were facilitated by Black Lives Matter. And, you know, as sad as it is that they'll position this thing, you know, this, this, this movement like that. Um, in large part, a lot of people, not that this is a, it's an original tent, have been using it as a gang. And in effect, because the majority of people have been using it as a gang, it has become a gang. The police officers, think about them. An original idea that's beautiful in its essence. People are there to protect and serve. But it becomes a gang when it passes through the minds and the filters of you know society. The military, the beautiful idea, defend, protect, and serve the country. It becomes a gang when, it, when this ideology goes through people. Ideologies, we're going to cover all of this, you know, how ideologies like socialism become a poison to society because of the way people perceive it. You know, and every, every idea that really passes society comes through the same route. But really, all of these different ideologies, I don't want to confuse you too much. Everything that I'm saying is going to be circled around the idea of how we, in my personal opinion, which I could be wrong, it's not gospel, it's not truth, I'm not qualified or at the top of the soapbox, no pastor, I can't say definitively that this is the answer, but this is what I believe, and it actually relates to some stories that are near and dear to us, and as old as 2,000 years old, man, I believe this is flying color, so as I progress through these stories, as I progress through these ideas, I'm kind of heading into some ex experimental territory, and so bear with me, well, I might pause and stutter and not really convey some ideas as well as I mean to, I hope you can hear the crickets, man, this really is a beautiful night walking down the main street cars passing cool night air you see the palm trees uh i'm not even sure if it's recording right now hopefully it is let's see okay we're doing a good job with the recording all right so without further ado man tell me if you can relate to this experience okay this feeling is really what this entire podcast episode is centered around 
It's centered around, if you've been listening to our podcast, you're a long-term listener, which if you're listening now, please, man, rate and subscribe to the podcast. More than you subscribe to the podcast, I believe this podcast is the conduit for changing a lot of lives in the modern world. I really do believe that. Okay, but, you know, what I want to question in this podcast is the two mindsets, which are really correspondent to the two types of energy, you know, the destructive energy and the energy of creation. Then it might seem like a little whack, a little woo-woo. And a lot of that, you know, a lot of my, you know, uh, vernacular as it is, is coming from a great mind. You know, I'm borrowing and patching together, lots of, you know, my information from lots of different sources. And one of my main sources and one of the people I listen to most is Owen Cook. So I do, I do want to, um, you know, give him credit for a lot of this ideology. I learned a lot of immense amount from him. But here's the thing. Tell me if you can relate to this feeling. So when you're young, right? You know, there's just kind of you, you know, your parents. Oh, look, it's a little cat, a little yellow cat. Your parents don't really understand you. Your friends don't really understand you. Teachers, everybody else around you, they don't understand you. You know, is that something that you can relate to? Is that a feeling that you can resonate with? Like the feeling that you're different. And in essence, you have an ability. You, you have, in essence, and I believe everybody starts with this because Everybody starts with their own genius. Everybody starts with their own originality. But you felt like such a diamond in a rough. You felt like such a unique preposition to the world. You felt different than everything else around you. Unique in your own way. But you couldn't really, you know, the world around you couldn't really perceive that. They couldn't really understand that which you were. Is that a, is that a familiar feeling? Now, also, is the familiar feeling that as you progress through life, because they didn't understand what you were, because they didn't really understand your essence, a lot of people that come into your life, maybe recently, maybe back then, but throughout the expanse of your life, they tried to, you know, they were angry at you. You know, maybe they tried to change you. Maybe they were confused. Maybe they didn't want to be your friends. Maybe they didn't even want to be your parent. Maybe they distanced themselves from you. Is that an experience that you had? You know, I've felt for the majority of my life, I'm sorry if you can hear the parking lot echoing, you know, that I was different from the rest of society. You know, if you listen to my podcast, you heard this story, but I'm going to reiterate it for the new listeners. I remember going through the school system and really just contemplating, why am I here? You know, I don't really, you know, I don't really vibe with the people around me. I'm not really too uh, passionate about any of the stuff that I'm learning, any of the ideas, the topics I'm learning. You know, the pathway they laid out in front of me, the system itself sounds really counterintuitive for what I believe. I never really resonated with the frequency that I was pushed into from day one. On top of that, I was a very introverted guy. I can count on my uh, hand how many conversations I had throughout middle school, throughout elementary school, and even throughout the beginning of high school. I was very reserved. Because I was observing a society around me that didn't necessarily reflect me. It didn't reflect the intricacies of my thoughts and minds. There seemed to be a carbon cutout blueprint, you know, that everyone enjoyed, that everyone wanted to follow, that things that everyone thought was cool that I simply, for some reason, and you probably can relate to this, right, rejected. It wasn't me, you know. I could have faked it like everybody, like I felt some people were. But it wasn't something I agreed with and it wasn't something that I was, you know, I would have to sacrifice a lot of myself and it would be a lot of, it would be a painful process to fit in the square hole. It's like Steve Jobs said, this is for the square pegs and the round holes. How many of us, raise your hand, man, was a square peg 
in a round hole going through a system that tried to shape you and mold you into something that you just weren't something that you could never be because you were just cut from a different cloth and this is out of, not out of arrogance this could be for the better or this could be for the worse if you turn out to be some type of psychopath going down the street killing people yeah this is not your system i'm admitted this is this is not your system but it's for the worse you should have probably listened to the system right Okay, but that was my feeling in middle school, and particularly I remember experiencing a lot of anger around that idea when I got to high school. Because when I got to high school, it was kind of like uh, the Cambrian explosion. The Cambrian explosion is a particular time in history where there was an explosion of biodiversity. Life just, 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 just ruptured throughout the world. There were so many different types of creatures. Encephalopods, you know, invertebrate. So many different types of creatures. So many, so much variety in the looks and the feels and the sense of these creatures. It was uh, probably the, I don't want to be wrong with this one, but I believe one of the periods in human history that had the greatest biodiversity. Weird looking animals. I remember seeing this in a textbook in like sixth grade. Uh, was it sixth grade? Yeah, it was a health class. Um, it was sixth grade uh, with my man's Nate. He pointed me out the picture in his book before I even knew him. I met him in seventh grade officially, but I remember just looking at this book like, what the heck are these creatures? I don't even know why we had a biology textbook or history textbook, whatever it was in health class. But I remember seeing that and I remember Googling that about it later on my little uh, cricket phone. I don't remember what phone I had, but I had this like little janky sliding phone. But anyhow, what was I comparing that to? See, that's what I mean. I'm heading to some experimental territory. You know, I remember getting into high school and my brain and the way I began to perceive the world was an explosion of different ideologies. And I talk about this, uh, you know, creating this phenomenon in people in my other podcast episodes, if you want to listen to that, you know, you know, pushing people into an era where, uh, man, this too complex to really explain but i was going through a lot man from the block that i came from the neighborhood that i came from we had everything set in stone we had everything cookie cutter we all wore the same outfits all outfits we all had the same dialect we all wore the same you know we all uh had the same plans for life in the future you know we all had culture i guess that's a short way to say it we were all within the same culture there may be slight variations to what culture is, but usually when you come from where you come from, your culture is your culture. Your way of life is your way of life. And no one refutes that. But you have a lot of cognitive dissonance, which is when, you know, uh, how do I explain this stuff? Man? I should look at like legal definitions of these things. Cognitive, dis- cognitive dissonance is where you're facilitating habits that aren't necessarily aligned with what you believe in your, men- like in your mind. It's like when your brain battles with itself, okay? And there's a lot of confusion in your mind about who you are on the basis of what you believe and what you're doing. So there was a lot of cognitive dissonance within. Because I'm coming from this culture. Oh, I almost fell down a three flights of stairs. It's a dark night. I probably should have on a headlight or something like that. Please be safe, everybody. There's a lot of cognitive dissonance in my brain about, you know, between my home life and the life that I came from and the life that I was growing into. Because I've always been somebody that's curious. Is that something that you can say about yourself? You know, and this is one thing about curiosity that I've learned and it really disturbs me to the highest level. A lot of people don't, you're probably wondering, how does this tie into George Floyd and the riots? I'm going to tie it in. Just wait for me. A lot of people don't naturally on their own consume information. A lot of people don't intentionally consume information, which is a very, very, very strange thing. It's very, I think it's very, very bad, you know. 
You will never have come to this place that I'm talking about. You're probably not relating to me right now unless you can intentionally consume information, okay? You've probably only been jammed the same cookie cutter information from the culture that you were in since day one. And so you've probably become a, a product of that culture, which at this point in time, if you are, you're obviously fuming at the idea of this podcast and the things that I'm discussing. But, you know, anyhow, you should always consume information intentionally, especially in the modern world. Our parents didn't have this, but we can listen to people in China. We can listen to people in Japan, Greek, Greece, Australia. One of my friends, one of my newest friends, and I think one of my closest friends now, his name's Yash. I did a couple podcast episodes, and he's from Melbourne, Australia. We have access to ideologies and principles and ideas from around the world, and they're coming together in such a beautiful way, although people happen to overlook it. And so when I was younger, to get back to the story, you know, I had uh, all these different ideologies coming into my life, man. I would listen to like Alpha M, Antonio Centeno, Centeno, all these different real men, real style. I mean, all these different, which that's Alpha M, I guess. All these different, you know, I would listen to Owen Cook, Elliot Hulse, the Hodge Twins. I basically had like a life coach from for every different area of life, whether it be through the internet or real life with people like my coaches, where I would learn wrestling and things like that. I had wrestling mentors over the over the over the internet, like Jordan Bros and Kale Sanderson, which I didn't necessarily have direct contact, but I would learn from. And all these different ideologies would flood into my brain and make me question that which I came from. I officially I was a Christian. I grew up in the church. Okay, I lost my religion by grade seven, and learning will do that to you. It'll make you really switch up on what you know and question what you know. And that was just the first of many switches to come. It was a long and painful period of growing. I grew up, you know, pretty, we didn't really have any money. You know, I remember going through a lot of periods of fear based around money. You know, I remember growing up with my own preconceived notions of what money was. I mean, a lot of me felt like, you know, you know, we all grew up with our preconceived notions of rich people. Oh, rich people are this, rich people are that. You had to do this, do this, that, and the third to get some way. And, you know, the process of me learning and integrating knowledge from other sources were integrated, you know, were, 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 were the, you know, the process was exacerbated by me going to pretty much an all-white school where they would have, like, Confederate flags on the back of their truck and wear, like, salt life shirts and wear Sperry's and khakis and things like that. I was in a different culture when I got to high school. I went to a high school called Eastern Tech High School, and it was a wild, wild west type of place. These folks were like cowboys, man. Uh, you know, a lot of people that were very different from, you know, the people of where I came from. And so essentially life was a combination of so many things. And uh, whether we learned about pickup from Owen Cook, whether we learned about health, fitness, and diet from Elliot Hulse and coming home and looking like, why are we eating this fast food? Why are we drinking this soda? Why are we dressing like this? Why are we talking like this? You know? One of the most major things that had came to me was the idea of going to school. You know, everybody always experiences this when they're young. They say, oh, you want to be successful? You want to be rich? You know, oh, man. Where I come from, man, I remember having this conversation with somebody in my life, and they said, do you understand how much $100,000 is? You know how good a $100,000 a year job is? This was like last year or two years ago. And I'm like, no, man, I don't exactly know what you're talking about. I want I want 100 million per day. That's what I want, you know. And you know, all, you know, the people in my life, you know, these people that I came from, as the years progressed, really stopped relating to me because of things like that, you know, because of these new understandings and these new ideas. But the whole main principle of my life as a junior in high school really was: you wanna you wanna get a you wanna go to you know get your grades up, go to college, get a job, get out of this house, get married, and, and do do the career thing. You know, that was one of the biggest things. Is this something that you feel? Are you feeling me right now? Are you feeling me? 
You know, people around your life, people are all around you say, oh, go to school, go to work, go to school, go to work, perpetually. That's all you get over and over and over again. They never really care what it is that you want or who you are. They never really care about what your passions, what your dreams, what your talents are. Is that something that you can relate to? Because that's what I was experiencing. I had dreams when I was a junior in high school, man. I had dreams. So many dreams. Looking back, man, I don't even remember what those dreams were. I just remember that they, I, I felt that I wanted something outside of life than what people were telling, to me, telling me to be. I didn't know what I wanted or where I could go that was different, but I knew the life that I was experiencing and viewing from around me that a college degree and a job worth 100K a year just wasn't it. I, was, I, was, I just felt different. I felt alienated. Is that something you can, can experience? What do you do when you feel alienated? What do you do? I'm getting a little passionate here. I'm getting a little, a little riled up. You get these ideas. You get that electricity going through your body. And then what do you do? Oh, you go tell your friends and family about it. You say, oh, I just, you know, the Coke has a spot of me, whatever it has in it. You don't want to drink that stuff. It has fake sugars. Oh, the sugar is detrimental. Oh, the sugar will kill you. Oh, this high blood pressure is for this reason. Oh, the way you dress like that, but I'm dressing like this. Like you go and get to tell people all these ideas. Right? What happens when you do that, right? Oh, well, yeah, sure, that's cool. Okay. They don't get excited like you get excited. They don't understand you. And so how do you feel after that? And, and not only do they not get excited, not only do they understand you, sometimes they lecture you. Have you ever been lectured before? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's cool. Starting a business is cool. But it's only for these people who sell snake oil online. Man, my father called me a fraud and a snake oil salesman when I started doing the online business. And in his defense, I was a fraud and a snake oil salesman. I was scamming like I don't know what. But listen, man. Oh, no, business is only for the frauds and a snake snake oil salesman. Oh, you can't do that. Oh, the best way to do that is to guess what? Go to school. You start feeling different and expressing it when you start to get more confident in yourself. But society just begins to crush you into this ball they begin to crush your ideas and your essence in a form that you can recognize. I mean, in a form that they can recognize, in a form that they can resonate with. They don't care about who you are. What society wants out of you is more of them. You know, and that's why The Matrix is an insane movie. The parasite in The Matrix, the parasite in the system is Agent Smith. He's creating more of him. That's all the world and society does. It tries to create... I saw a spider. I better get out of here. It tries to create more of itself. They want an echo chamber of all the same ideologies. It's all the same opinions. And I remember feeling because, you know, this is where I started falling in love with the ideologies. Kanye West, still my favorite artist to this day because of some of the things he represents, some of the things he says. Same with Elon Musk and people like that. You know, I remember feeling like betrayed almost. I remember feeling like there was a counter position between me and the rest of society. We didn't agree, and so, therefore, there was a direct declaration in my mind that we were enemies. All that I want, wanted from the, from the day one, you know, back then, what I thought I wanted was to take my ideas, my creativity, my imagination, and express it into the world in the form of this big, you know, this big, big rapper business. I wanted to be a world-renowned rapper and superstar. I wanted people to see me on the stages and TV. I wanted to touch people and help people and, and promote this new ideology that I had. These new things that, you, oh, you can live a life. Oh, you can be who you want. Oh, you can feel how you want to feel. 
You can be different. You can be unique. You can be yourself. I remember that's all I wanted to do every day when I woke up. Just promote this ideology of, look, you are you and don't let nobody tell you different. I wanted to be a big rapper on the, you know, on the stages, make music and ideologies that just were different. I wanted to be able to express my creativity and get rich off of it to the highest maximum, to the highest potential that I possibly could. Think about it. What, what did you feel at that age if you were after that age? What is the pathway that you want to take? Are you on that pathway now? Maybe you wanted to build a big YouTube channel. Maybe you wanted to build a big business. You just wanted to be something bigger than yourself. And that's what I felt. But internally, and I can say this was hindsight is 2020, was burning in me all along was a desire for community. I wanted my parents to love me and be proud of me and understand me for me. Not as the person that they were trying to force me to be. Not as the person society wanted me to be. I wanted society to celebrate my difference and actually recognize me as a human being. Because really deep down, and I remember this feeling, I felt like I was, and I still feel like this, which is why it hurts. I feel like the only person on planet Earth. I feel like the only person in the world. I feel like nobody sees me, man. You know, I was just talking uh, on the podcast episode, it'll be coming out soon, with Antonio T. Smith Jr. Amazing man. Forbes coaching council member. You know, nine-figure business. He has everything in the world that, you know, anybody could ever ask for. You know, best-selling author. You know, financial advisor to Les Brown. What else can you want? And he would tell me the moniker of his business is no one suffers alone. But why is that? Because when you're cut from a different cloth, that's what you experience. Between 6 and 14 years old, he was living in a trash can on the streets. And he said that no one ever recognized him as a person. Except for one guy at the bakery around his local neighborhood. The dude would give him some donuts every day for 25 cents. Odd numbers, even numbers, weird numbers. Just because he saw this kid with no home, with no family, living in a trash can, and he just wanted to help out. And I, I really felt the way listening to, that, listening to him speak, I really felt like it was tearing me apart. I, I felt like, like crying and breaking down because I realized you got off the streets and now you have everything that everybody wants and you have friends and family around you, but there's still a large possibility. I don't know if this is a situation that the people around you, because you're built different, because you're cut from a different cloth, they love you and they admire you. But at the same time, you might still feel alone like I feel alone because they don't understand you. You fought for understanding and now you're giving all this understanding and this love and care to the world. But they don't feel you because they can't. Not right now at least. You have to do so much remediation on them. You have to do so much to, 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 to make them understand. Have any of you ever felt like that? Do you know how it feels to be the only person on planet Earth? Man, sometimes the strong don't got nobody being strong for them. Sometimes the people who everybody lean on don't got nobody to lean on for them. Are you understanding what I'm saying? So, basically, a lot of that was how I felt. I felt alone, floating through the world. You know, different from the rest. And I felt every time I spoke, people didn't care about what I said. And that, in fact, they were my enemy. They were against me. They wanted me to be them. And I couldn't accept that. And so I remember graduating high school 
and going to college, dropping out of college with a zero GPA and deciding on my own that regardless of what anybody says, me against the world and we're going to make this dream of being a rapper happen. And I remember feeling just the sheer competitiveness because I had came from wrestling. I was a county champion and a regional champion, JV county champion, and then I was a regional champion uh, on the varsity. Uh, I was a super competitive wrestler, man. I was a dog. And that was the mentality I started to apply to everything else in my life. Man, if, do- if they don't got my back, if nobody got my back, I got my back. If nobody's in this with me, I'm in this with me. And I don't care what they think. And I don't care what they feel. And I started to cultivate inside of me because everything that occurred in my life and all the way people would ha- you know, handle my ideas, I had f- felt to start to c- cultivate an anger, a hatred. Now think about the people rioting against the police. Think about the people breaking people's cars and breaking people's windows and setting fire to things. Ain't this a little bit of what they feel? Hatred, anger, us versus them. You know, I start to experience that. And so I went into my life and into my early 20s just trying everything. You know, trying everything to get out of my house, you know. Beyond the fact that I wanted to express these ideas to the world and be on the stages and be rich and have these things, you know. It, even that sensation had began to evolve with time. And this might be some of the things you're experiencing now. I started to get into the regular corporate world and work jobs. My first job was at a place cooking chicken, deli place called the Royal Farms. I flipped chicken. I worked the register, and I absolutely hated that place. I hated it with everything I have. I hate it to this very day. I hated it so much. It was the bane of my existence for years and years and years. Reporting to that place every day, eight, nine, ten hours a day sitting at that register and looking outside the window watching everybody else have fun watching everybody enjoy their life and I was trapped and I was a slave to the system after that target I worked night shift I'd come in at 4.30 a.m. in the morning middle of winter wake up 3.30 a.m. and sprint to work in the freezing rain and the the cold and it was just the worst thing in the world I was tired and it felt like misery and so my desires the burning desire in me was just to one escape this system of regular society oh you got to go to school you got to work just let's get out of here i wanted to get rid of it and i wanted to live a free life based on the passions that i felt based off the things that i actually love and enjoy the life that i could see myself living because if i had to work these places for the rest of my life i just wouldn't live it and that's the truth so i wanted to have passion i wanted to escape control and low wages and being poor and not having. I wanted to get to the places through my passions that everybody should enjoy. Places like the place that I am now, Los Angeles. You know, a foreign city, Florida, Miami, Maldives. You know, I wanted to get through these places and experience these places. Because living on the block that I live in and coming from the circumstances I come, this is not something that happens. My younger brothers, 18 uh, and 20, I believe, 20 soon. Both of them have never been to the ocean in their lives. That's how small the culture is where I'm from. You know what's even crazier? Both of them have never been to a pool. A public pool. No, both of them have never been in a pool. It's absurd when you think about that. It's absurd. You know? I didn't want to live like that. You know? Don't get me wrong. My parents are going hard as possible every day. I feel them so deeply. They, 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 they my people. You know, and I love them with everything. 
And they going hard. And they've been going hard for us since day one. My dad always wanted to see California. My mother always wanted to see Alaska. But they can't see these things because the system of society crushes people who are different. And the difference is the only thing that gives you a fighting chance. And I felt like my parents were going, you know, they, you, you beat people down to the point where they just want the best for you and they want to protect you. I didn't understand that back then. My parents were trying to protect me from a long journey of failure, which is something that I would eventually embark on. And so in my 20s, I went through business idea to business idea, just business idea, business idea, just to fund this music dream. And I would try and fail and try and fail and try and fail. And the entire time, throughout the entire process, I just felt alone. Every day, man, I wake up. I'll just go to school, just go to work. There were times where I quit my job. There were times where I had a job. There were times where I did absolutely nothing. There were times where I, you know, I never went back to school after I dropped out as a freshman in 2016, May 20th um, was my last day. But I was always trying for my ideas. And there was a lot of tension. And even so, building tension throughout the years because of it. Similar to the building tension between police and rioters or police and passengers or police and black lives matter police and black people There were building tensions And so Closer to the end of the story You know it, somewhere in the middle of the story actually <laughs> let's park there first It was a point where I would not talk to my parents for months on end Like we lived in the same house and I would literally get up early in the morning and leave out and come back so late they would never have time to see me because I knew what they want to say and I didn't want to hear it I didn't want to hear to go back to school and be regular and go back to work I didn't want to hear any of that I didn't want to have my dreams questioned and attacked and destroyed I wanted them to live and I wanted to be something I didn't trust them I didn't like them I didn't want to be around them you know and, and in essence there was a lot of hate towards them in me a lot of blame towards them in me Everybody that's young, you felt this, right? You felt a hatred or blame towards your parents. And, and, and man, I just didn't feel like I connected with, with them or anybody in the world and related to them at all. So I tried with business idea. You know, first thing that I went to, I gravitated towards online business. I'm not going to cover the business too much because I've talked about this in so many other episodes. But the first business was like the Beat Buddy system. <laughs> you know, I was a producer because music was my thing. I, I produced my own beats. So I was producing beats every month tried to fail that I failed and tried with business for two years straight you know I used five thousand of my own money without getting a single sale two years without getting a single sale and the whole process was extra difficult extra miserable and but as this business journey had begun to unfold I began to find online personalities that were kind of like me an online community sorry if it's a little echoey down here an online community that was something I could resonate with people like Russell Brunson people like Owen Cook people like Frank Kern different people with different ideas who were living the lives that I want and so I had strayed into the online business online marketing funnel world make a business with the internet I used to see teens and people my age and even younger than me from drop shipping having penthouses in New York uh, Kamaro Muhammad was Kamar Muhammad is his name on YouTube Samir Shabane two hundred thousand dollars in a month from drop shipping you know driving these Lamborghinis living this beautiful life of freedom I remember feeling like that and just every single day just like dreaming on it and fighting for it and two years in every single day my parents were just like no do this do this do this you want to do this that can't work that's impossible no that's stupid that's, and that eventually boiled over into the point where uh, recently a few months ago and rightfully so it's their house they have everything you know to you know they have the <laughs> final say on that 
If I don't follow their rules, it's a completely fair game. I don't blame them at all. But uh, September 5th of, um, you know, 2019, you know, even a little month, weeks prior to that, me and my parents had come to a place where they were like, okay, if you're not going to go to school, you're going to have to pay rent here. And if you don't pay rent, you get out. So I kind of declined to pay rent. And I came home one day on the day the rent was due. And we got into a huge argument about it. Well, really, I just got flogged. <laughs> and kind of just like my mother was like, she just chewed me out. Absolutely. And so I kind of just left. You know, I just felt like as long as I stayed here, my dreams weren't, weren't possible because all these opinions and all these ideas were trying to crush them. That's exactly what I felt like. And I left there and I didn't speak to them for months. And in the time of me leaving, I eventually ended up going over to Los Angeles because I felt like, okay, at home, there's nothing left for me. At home, there's nobody on my side. At home, you know, it's just me versus the world. Okay. And so I get over to Los Angeles trying to solve the problem of, okay, I want to push my ideas out into the world. I want to get my ideas out onto the big screen. And I want to find and come to a place, you know, where I'm right about the world and people understand me. I want to come to a place where my parents, they kind of get, they, they, they are forced to admit that what I was doing was the right thing and that they were wrong. I want success. I want to help myself. I want to prove them wrong. I want to show the world that. So me and my girlfriend crossed the country to Los Angeles with literally no money in my bank, our bank account. With, this was in November. I remember coming up on December, I had like negative $300 in my bank account, was pretty much getting washed up and down the sidewalk, getting like, it was an awful time from everybody and from every which way. And there are times where you're running down this tunnel, you're thinking, oh, were my parents right? Maybe, maybe I should just go home. Maybe I should just back out. I'm not going to be homeless. I'm going to eat like all these different thoughts. Like even getting an apartment was like, oh man, it was such a freaking whirlwind of different things. Like. You know, it was such a struggle. And emotionally, I began to feel like, okay, not only do... I, I began to just feel, like, resentful. I'm not going to lie. I was resentful to my parents. I was resentful to society for not really uh, supporting this idea or whatever it was. And even I began to feel, like, even more alone in a sense because I felt like all these people who had God from the Internet had began... Like, their ideologies were... I felt like they were false. I felt like it had began to betray me. And where I had that little community that was digital... Maybe I was the only person in the world that actually cared about doing these things that I was talking about. And, you know, maybe all these things were lies and scams and the system is built to just collapse on us. You know, it seemed like the world is just set up in a way for the people who do what, do the one cookie cutter path. Like they're the only ones that could win. And that win wasn't good enough. And so I remember trying with this business over and over and over again. And, uh. Just really not understanding why I was working. I really want to emphasize with this part. I know this is a, like a long-winded part of the podcast. I really want to emphasize just the stress and the tyranny of my own thoughts. You know, that feeling where your thoughts are just racing about how you should quit and how everything sucks and how life is just miserable. And you're kind of just in a process of tearing yourself apart. Just tearing myself apart and 4,000 miles away from home with no help. Uh, and really just in a very, very stressful spot in, in terms of everything, relationship, everything. Like... It was, it, was, it was pretty trying. And I felt valueless. I felt worthless. I felt invisible. I felt unseen. I felt like a failure. I felt dumb. I just felt like every negative connotation that you can give to a person, I done felt it. I felt like I was at the bottom of the world and just asking God repeatedly, 
Why me? Why did you give me this intuition? Why did you spark this feeling of desire if there was nothing left on the other side for me when I chased it? And I chased it all the way to the end and I have nothing to show for it. Why me? I remember, you know, after one of my most recent business failures, this was probably January, uh, negative bank account, like negative $300 in my bank account. Uh, my girlfriend, she was in LA. One of the reasons she went to LA with me, uh, well, I went with her, I don't know, whatever you want to put it, was to attend uh, NIFA, which is an acting school here in LA. And she would get up at 9 a.m. in the morning to go to this school. And I remember she went out to the school one morning at 9 a.m. And we were in a hotel called the Ramada, a little bit away from here, because we didn't have, you know, we didn't have an apartment at that point in time. We were just burning $100 every day trying to figure out, like, what to do. You know, I had no money, but she had a little bit of reserves from our last job in the form of stock. We were just burning through it, burning to the end of the barrel. And feeling the walls close in, feeling a little desperation. And I remember... I would just work every single day. I would just work every single day. Even even leading up to moving to LA, I would just work and work and work and work. She would go to work and I would go down to the library down the street and just open my laptop because my laptop was all I ever had and I would just work, work, work. Even when I moved over here, all I had was my laptop. All my stuff was back at home with my parents. And, you know, I remember that 9 a.m. in the morning when I would open up my laptop because of everything that was going on and weighing on my mental, like I would get exhausted very quickly. And so about 9 a.m. she went out to school about 10, 11 a.m. when the sun's coming up, uh, well, when the sun's getting high in the sky, you know, it's about afternoon, and, uh, you know, it's nice and sunny and warm outside. I got up and I left the hotel because I was just frustrated, you know. I felt betrayed. I felt at the, I felt at the end of my rope, at the end of my wits. And I remember walking down the street, listening to Boogie, listening to, uh, I believe the song is Save Me, off of Boogie's uh, first album, uh, Thirst 48, the first one, not part two. And, uh, or is it The Reach? I don't know. One of those albums. I believe it's, I believe it's Thirst 48. I remember walking down the street just listening to that, just looking up at the sky, kind of feeling empty. Wondering, what are we going to do? Number one. You know, and this is, I'm with, I'm with this, you know, this girlfriend that I promised since we were literally in high school that we would have the life of our dreams, that we would move out here and be in the hills and have a life of freedom and all these things that I desire. I told her that, and literally, she has money. I'm sitting here living with her. You know, being a burden to her and, 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 and wearing her down and tiring her funds and tiring her life out and being an embarrassment to her because she has to look a certain type of way. She has family that probably doesn't agree with the way she's living with me because that's not what a man is supposed to do according to some people and even according to myself. And it, it was a situation that ate at me. And so I'm looking at the sky, walking down the street, just thinking, man, what, what is the answer, man? What, what have I done wrong? What have I done wrong? And feeling that vitriol for my family, feeling that vitriol for society, feeling that hate, that venom for all the people who, who counted against me and wanting to beat them so bad. And I don't know what it was, man. I was walking to the 7-Eleven, man. I had some dollars in my pocket, which was actually given to me by her grandmother as a Christmas gift. So thank you uh, uh, to her grandmother. And I had about $7 left. And I walked into the 7-Eleven to get some Oreos and some Doritos. I walked outside of the 7-Eleven, almost made asked for some money. I gave him all that I had, and I continued to walk down the street. I don't know what it was, but walking down the street that day, it felt like a bolt of lightning hit me out of nowhere. You know, I was just wondering, why am I in this situation, and what can I do? You know, I was leading, you know, I was trying to do everything. I was leading, I was wearing my heart on my sleeve, I was going after it, I was believing in myself, I was using my brain, you know, 
and trying to prove that my superpower, who I was, this difference that everybody condemned so hard, was going to be the reason for the changes that everybody needed, including myself and myself for first and foremost. I was trying to show them that, yeah, I'm different, but what I, who I am is the reason why things are going to come together. And for some reason, I was walking down the street in the, like a boulder light, and like I said, a feeling just came over me. And I just had a quick little math formula done in my head. A quick little realization. I looked at the entirety of my life. It flashed between, you know, right in front of my eyelids, even though my eyes were open. And looking up into the blue sky. It was a beautiful day. It's about noon. You know, probably about 60, 70 degrees. L.A. was new to me. You know, not in the city. I was like in a rural area. Palm trees, just walking down a sidewalk. Residential neighborhood. You know, blue sky, not a cloud in sight. And I just felt light. And I remember just thinking about my entire life as it came right before my vision. All the way since I was a little kid. All the way through middle school. All the way through elementary school. Think about this. Are you thinking with me? Think about this. How crazy is this? And I start to think. I'm out here in Los Angeles. And essentially... My girlfriend and her mother are taking care of me like a baby. You know, that's the most emasculating feeling in the world. Tell me it's not. Why is this being put on me? Before that, my parents, I'm 20 years old, 21, 22 years old. They're taking care of me. They're paying my phone bill. They're paying my food bill. They're paying everything. And I'm in this house and they're raising me like a little infant. I'm grown and I just can't seem to figure out how to do it on my own. Why is this? Why do I feel so weak and so valueless and so small and such a burden to everybody else around me? I start to mull on this way that I've been living forever. And I started to think about how far I done came and started to break down the ways in which I've came far. I looked at the ages of 0 through 22 when I lived with my parents. As much as I was against them, as much as I wanted to prove them wrong, as much as I hated a lot of the things that they put onto me or I felt that they put had put onto me at the time I started to realize well I made it 0 to 22 because they fed me when I didn't have that job I realized that they 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 clothed me well they didn't clothe me fast at that point but a lot of the I don't own any of the clothes I wear even to this day I mean my girlfriend bought a lot of these clothes when I didn't have a job you know they paid for my internet for to me to make these businesses when I did have a job I was able to spend money on the business and the ads because of them taking care of everything else. I always had them on my team, even though I never recognized it, even though I was trying desperately, like as a life mission, to do everything solo. I've started to look at my life now, living in Los Angeles and not having contact with them, really not speaking to them because of some of the things that had gone on. Not my life now, but my life back in January. And I started to think, man, look, man, you feel emasculated, but look, you're here and you're making it every day. Why is that? Oh, because your girlfriend and her mother is paying for this and that and this, that and the third. They're holding you down. And I'm being very, you know, it hurts me to say these things and admit these things, but I have to be vulnerable. I have to live in my truth. Even to this day, I can't find a way to crack the cold. But this is what I realized. You've been trying to lead your life and pretend and not pretend and to enforce the, the you know bring forth the reality that you're you did it alone you did it off your own strength and you did it 
off the strength which is your differences. You got us all out the mud on your own because you were different, different where everybody told you that difference was bad, that that difference was not good, that this difference should not be celebrated. But here's the thing. There was not a single point on the journey where you didn't have a team. So how did you do it on your own? Every step of the way where I was fighting against everybody in the world, where I thought I was the only one, where I wanted to be on the big screen, where I wanted to be significant, where I wanted to be the one that did it on my own and never asked for help. There was never a phrase in my life where I didn't have backup, where I didn't have a team, where I didn't have other people operating behind the scenes to make sure that this vision and this dream came true, whether they agreed with it or not. That's what I realized. And it was in that moment my eyes literally opened up for the first time in my life. Think about it. You think you're the one? You think you're different? You think your ideas are this, that, and third? They might be. But what are the other players that are moving around in your life right now? And what are their roles? Really think about and immerse yourself in how many different moving pieces are operating in your life. There is not a single individual in your life. I mean, there's not a single individual that doesn't have somebody in their life that's operating for them in one way or another. No one does it alone. I started to think about the old adages or the old uh, proverbs. You want to go fast, go alone. You want to go far, bring a team. And it really hit me like a bolt of light. And like I said, just out of the blue. The reason why I could have success and make it this far in terms of general life is because I had a team. It's because I was collaborating with other people in one way or another. And the reason why I would not succeed in my dreams and my visions in business because I thought I was so different from everybody else. Because I had hate and vitriol for everybody else to the point where I was not willing to collaborate with them in that area. So I had succeed in success, food, fed every day, success, hunger, you know, clothed every day, success, you know, bath, bathed every day, success. But finances and business, Never success. Here on the side where I was succeeding, I was collaborating. I was working with everybody, but in business, I never did that. I never even thought of it. It started to race through my mind all the different business books I had read. ExpertSecrets.com, Secrets Travis, some of my favorite books, and all of it is based off of collaboration with your market. All is based off if you want to go far, go with a team. Don't go alone. But what was stopping me from doing that was that I was hating who the people who would serve as my team. You see, the people who I felt made me feel alone, the people who didn't understand me, still were the other side to the equation. They still had the key to my success. Nothing would happen unless we put aside our differences and we worked together. But hate was stopping me from seeing that. And so to proceed on with the story, I decided to change everything. Up until this point, in January, I had about a $2,000, my first four-figure sale, period. It was a $2,000 sale within my ghostwriting business, you know. Um, and so we had that $2,000 sale. We were also working on another couple thousand dollar sale with a friend out in D.C., but that kind of fell through after Kobe died and coronavirus had broken through. Not because of those things, because it's all remote, but I kind of just fizzled it off. And the reason that I fizzled it off was because of this. So me and my girlfriend, we came to a place where we were moving into this new apartment and the lease would be $2,000 a month. 
And so I figured out that collaboration was the key to making my business idea work. I had to work with the people I hated in order to get the things that we all wanted out of life. And so I began to structure an entire plan about how to do that. And in that realization of how we are supposed to collaborate in order to have success, I realized even in my business endeavors, or mostly in my business endeavors, even in my relationship with clients and in my relationship with people that I outsourced my work to, my collaborations were awful. They were self-centered. And that's why they wouldn't work. Okay? And that's why no one, everybody that I worked for, you know, did work for in the past, and this is why I said I was a snake oil salesman, I never gave them the best work. The people I collaborated with to get a project done, I never gave them the best end of the stick. Everything was about me. I wanted to make a business in order to supplement my own importance, in order to have the house in the hills and a Lamborghini and be the one and be so important. I wanted my face to be on the screen. I wanted to supplement my vanity. I wanted to make a movement to raise myself up, to raise my own image, to make me great. But those movements are dimly lit. You can either be a dimly lit movement about your vanity or you could be, you know, a rising tide that raises all ships. A movement in which your identity sinks into the mass of faces. You're one person of many, but that movement, that type of movement is a movement that goes far. Those are the only two options. And I say that because this podcast is all about bringing your ideas to the world in the form of mass movements. You can make it about you and never go anywhere. You can make it about everybody, the whole, us as a tribe, as humanity, and you can go far. You can collaborate. Or you can be self-serving. And so, literally, while rent is on the line, everything's on the line, because I realized even the very structure of my business, I explained this on a podcast, so I'm going to brush it lightly here, was about me. I basically shut it all down because I realized I wasn't giving everybody the best results they could. And we're heading to a relaunch, I believe on June 28th is the date I'm aiming for, of that ghostwriting business overall. But I shut it all down. Because I didn't want to do bad work for anybody anymore, even though I could realize collaboration, I could profit off of that. I realized I wanted to give people the best bargain. I wanted to give everybody else better than what I got, or else I would not want to profit. And so I shut the business down. Me and my girlfriend started delivery driving, and her mother's been helping out with a lot of things like rent and things like that otherwise. And so the business has been shut down since that February. And we've kind of just been figuring things out step by step. Okay, and so I never got to a place, obviously, in the story where people understand me fully. Where I'm, you know, my ideas, I'm living for my passion, exploring the world, and free from working jobs. I've never gotten to that place. You know, I've never gotten to a place where the people around me understand me fully. But here's what changed. I have the best relationship right now with my parents. I love them and they love me. And we have that clarity now. We're working together so well. All my friendships, my relationship, everything kind of has been very seamless. We're integrating very well. And the reason why is because I realized, wow, I'm worried about people understanding me. Worried about being heard. When the real meaning of it all, really the meaning of our lives as a, as, a, as a whole, is we're just here to serve other people, to give as much as possible and never really worry about return. We're meant to collaborate on these ideas to make everybody, make, be the rise of tide that raises all ships. 
And so even if people never understand me, or even if people never see my face and, you know, whatever it may be, I just want to give as much to other people. And ironically enough, giving is what, you know, gives returns. Giving and collaborating is what solves problems, solves problems. It's not on me to try to fight to be understood and take, take, take. It's on me to just understand as much people as possible. And we've got, I've gained so much from just really just giving. You know, I've gotten podcasts with several multimillionaires lined, you know, done and lined up as well. You know, just the other day I was on a podcast, like I said, with Antonio T. Smith Jr., nine-figure business. You know, he said he's going to give me 10 podcast episodes. We're going to work together on 10 podcast episodes together. And that was on the basis of really understanding and caring about him. Not just faking like I care about him. I genuinely care about him and his story and his business. Every person that comes on me with the podcast that's a millionaire, I want to make him a billionaire. Every single one. It's going to happen. Every single last one. Everybody that comes into my life, I want to benefit him, give to him as much as possible. And I remember we were riding in the highway one day. My girlfriend asked me, man. If you could get one thing in the world, just anything, right now, what would it be? And for the first time ever, I really had a hard time answering that question because I realized, wow, when I stop focusing on myself, when I start focusing on collaborating with other people and giving as much as possible, I became happy. I realized I have everything I've ever wanted right here, right now, at this moment. I've just been pure satisfied. I'm no longer chasing the vanity of a business. And I know June 28th, we're going to have a million-dollar launch, multi-million-dollar launch. For my company memoir launch and this is all happening on the basis of collaboration okay so you might be wondering so what does any of this have to do with the George, George Floyd situation I this is what I have to say about it the way the riots are hand handled the way the death has been handled is only promotional of more of the same okay and I say that for this reasons there are, in my opinion, two mindsets. And this is what I believe. There is, and they're corresponding with the two types of energy. The first type of energy is consumer energy. Take energy. Destroy energy. Dark energy. And the mindset that's associated with that is the self-serving, you know, uh, competitive mindset. It's all about you. It's all about me, me, me. I want to win, win, win. I want to take, take, take. Destroy, destroy, destroy. All I care about and all I hear is my perspective and my view of the world. You understand what I mean? Um, and that's why my business wasn't working for a long time. Because fundamentally, the idea behind business is to solve people's problems, right? How can you solve problems when you're only thinking about yourself? That's why I know we're going to have a multi-million dollar launch because I'm no longer thinking about myself. I'm trying to serve clients to the highest degree. And they can feel that. The world feels that. The energy behind that is real and valid. And doors begin to unlock or begin to unlock when you put that energy out into the world. It's like the Chinese finger trap, you know, that you get in like the restaurants or whatever. You put your fingers in there and you think pulling away is going to get, get you out. But what's going to get you out is pushing forward. That's the answer. It's counterintuitive, but it's true. So there's a self-serving mindset, the take, take, take mindset, which is what a lot of people embody in life. You know, a lot of people have the take, take, take mindset. Oh, everybody that's, that you bump into and pass on the street, they're doing something to build themselves up, to get more from themselves, to supplement themselves. They're not thinking about other people. You even engage in conversations with people on the street, and a lot of the conversations that you engage in, you'll feel like people 
they aren't listening to you. They're just waiting for their next turn to respond. They're not integrating with you. They're not listening to you. They're not empathizing with you. Okay? And I talk about this a lot on the podcast every single day. You know? Because I believe this mindset is associated with unwellness. Okay? And when I say unwellness, it's like literal unwellness. It's like if you think about the, uh, the Maslow's, unwellness is like not having enough for yourself. You're not at a place emotionally where you're satisfied and where you're completed and where you're whole. You know, it's like if you've seen the, um, the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, I, I actually want to discuss the other mindset first. So that's the self-serving competitive mindset. The me, 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 us versus them, I want to win mindset, destroy, destroy, destroy. Um, and then the other mindset I believe you can embody is the collaborative and empathetic mindset. I always say this, but I believe that the the success of humanity is determined solely by the amount of empathy that we can develop you know along the course of this next century even when i switch my mindset from the self-serving oh me 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 to the collaborative and empathetic mindset i want to change the world with this business my goals and everything began to shift drastically before and when i wanted to make a million dollars and be the biggest face on the screen after that i can only feel the desire to get rid of Self, the self-serving, competitive, parasitic mindset in society. I'm not concerned about money and wealth and cars. Well, I like those things. Don't get me wrong. I really want a like a nice house in the, in the hills and all that stuff. I'm not a robot or anything like that. I'm not stupid. I, I would like a Lamborghini. It would be cool. Don't get me wrong. I'm not some type of oh, I'm on top of the mountain guru. Everything that I'm saying, could, I'll, I'll I'll be a hypocrite to it at least once or twice. Or not even once, like thousands of times. You'll always see me being a hypocrite. You'll always see me fall short of my ideology. You'll see me being angry. You'll see me have a bad day. You'll see me be self-serving and petty. I'm not above these things. And that's fine. No one has to be. We're all people. But my life mission really has changed from being a million-dollar, two-comma club a winner with click funnels, million dollars in a funnel, being an Olympic gold medalist, being all these things that served me to kind of in a place where I want to serve the world. My massive vision for the world is the grand design. That's what I call it. And the grand design is what happens when a bunch of people like you and I, designers, which designers are people who use the tool of collaboration and empathy to assemble people around a vision, which is what most CEOs do. They have a vision and they assemble people around that vision. They don't do the vision themselves. They just they just collaborate with all the best people and give them the best deal and change their lives by including them on this vision that they had. Okay? That's what a designer does. And the grand design happens when we inspire enough designers and teach them how to design. So imagine we have designer like a designer that's super passionate about curing homelessness. And so they have they we teach them the, the tools of collaboration and empathy to gather people around that you know that vision and bring that mass movement into the you know bring that idea into the world in the form of a mass movement that's profitable because profitability some cats fighting in the woods behind me because profitability is key in a capitalist society so the idea has to be profitable i'm gonna move so these cats don't come and try to fight me too because um profitability is important in, in society oh they just ran out of the bush go run 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 <laughs> profitability is important in the capitalist society so the vehicle of your vision might have to be a business okay because you need to take money out of your business and this is the difference between self-serving and competitive mindset before i was taking money out of my business to put into my bank account all the two thousand dollars i spent it on myself 
Okay, the difference with collaborative and empathetic mindset is I'm taking that $2,000 out of that business and I'm just using that vehicle to make this vision bigger and far and wider and re- meet more people. So the idea of a, a designer, they take the money from a business and they put it back into the business so they can make that message go further through advertising so they can serve more people. It's no longer, oh, let me get a huge amount of salary so that I can take care of just me, 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 and the greedy me. There's a complete switch in the way you operate as a designer in the world. And so basically what the grand design is, is when we inspire enough designers and give them the tool of collaboration and empathy, those minds that we bring them to that place to get their designs out into the world. It's the future that we were promised as children. You know, the future that we were promised on TV when we see flying cars, you know? The, you know, it's, it's the thing that Elon Musk is doing, you know? Imagine if we had a bunch of Elon Musk working on all these different companies and ideas, these visions, and they assembled the people, the best people in the world around each of these visions. Imagine if we had this people like Elon Musk in like the, the, the homelessness industry, the homelessness sector, uh, the food and you know the drink sector. Maybe we have him over here working on how to get to Mars. Maybe we have him working on housing, cities. That's one thing I'm super excited about in the future that I envision. City development. Imagine what we can make if we all know how to empathize and give people the best deal to gather them around our vision. How much more flexible would the world be? Maybe there's one designer that's experiencing a huge breakthrough in terraforming, changing the planet. Now all the designers can go over and help them with their vision. If we can find a way to have all of humanity collaborate and be empathetic beyond their own cultures, beyond their own cult. You know, like kind of like how... um. You know, when something massive happens in the world, you know, uh, when I, you know, this vision that I have, you know, there will be no borders in the future. You know, imagine like if, uh, let me think, uh, you know, like aliens came there or when the coronavirus happened, you know, people have inside them a hierarchy of the ways that they feel. You know, they have a hierarchy of their emotions. They have like a, or a hierarchy of their cultures. You know, it's like, uh, yeah, humanity is important, but family comes first. My gang becomes first. My neighborhood becomes first. You know, we have these many cultures inside. My country becomes first. We're all in different types of gangs in a way, right? Now, imagine if overall, you know, instead of the gang that we were in would reign supreme at all times with humanity. Like if aliens came down, what would be most important would not be the gang or the neighborhood. We would all unite against this common enemy. And the most important thing would be humanity. Like when the coronavirus first struck, the most important thing was, oh, let's all come together as humans. It doesn't matter what country you're in. It doesn't matter, you know, what race you are, what nationality, what religion you are, what gang you're in. The gang of humanity was the biggest and most important gang. Okay? And I call this the universal identity. You know? And that is part of the grand design is the universal identity. It's a symptom of it. Because when everybody in the world learns empathy and collaboration... When we truly empathize with each other, we can only get to that place by seeing humanity as the most important thing, as the forefront of everything. And so a symptom of that will be a world where everybody, just like if aliens were to come down, they would say their own humanity first. Not, oh, black versus white first. Not, oh, this gang versus that gang first. The internal structures of gangs inside of you will be trumped by the gang of humanity. And you see before color, before family, before anything, before closeness, before neighborhood, before country, you would see human. That's the vision that I see for the world.
and it's just a result of this design of everybody becoming designers and learning it's all on the basis of empathy okay uh, I guess these are two sectors of that vision that I'm discussing I know it's getting a little complex but that's just the idea that I have for the world okay now to bring it back to what I was saying so collaboration and empathy is the second mindset that's the mindset of creation and you can have a movement go up and be about self-serving and uh, pettiness and, and, and taking and comp competition, us versus them. But those movements, like my movement, because of the nature of it, it'll never work out, one. And two, it's destructive and only destroy itself and only cause despair in the world instead of prosperity. Empathy, on the other hand, collaboration, on the other hand, causes prosperity. It causes love. It causes, causes friendship. It causes happiness. It causes joy because you're worried and you're concerned about everybody else. It's like... The business that I was trying to run or my life, the business that I was trying to run, it doesn't work if I'm being competitive and self-serving because the key, like the key to my life was in the hands of my family members to make it whole. The key is in the hands of the people that you work with. The key to it all working is in the hands of the client. Everybody has to be satisfied in order for it to work and come together. You know, I was trying to be competitive against my family, but the key to my life succeeding was in the collaboration with them behind the scenes, even when we didn't when we didn't agree. You see what I'm saying? And so that's the difference between the competitive and you know self-serving and the collaborative and empathetic mindset. And I think this is one of the most important concepts that we can all have and agree on as human beings. And so, you know, um, you know, there, I was talking earlier about the pyramid and the hierarchy of needs. Okay, and I say collaboration, empathy is a sign of wellness. And all human beings have to take care of themselves and make sure they're well because, you know, that's the only way we can be empathetic and collaborate. And that's why I say earlier, because society is unwell, when you pass ideas through the thick of society, they become competitive and self-serving and destructive because most people in society aren't well. They're not paid enough to get the resources that they need. They're not eating the right foods. They're not digesting the right drinks. They're not really facilitating their bodies and their minds in a way that's supplement, supplementive of growing. They're eating like the pizza and the sugary foods and nasty things that are destroying their mind and their body. They're living in toxic and, and, and self-serving environments that only support the idea of you, 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 you. Just get yours, get the bag, don't care. Culture, pop culture is supporting the idea that you want to be self-serving, that you only want to care about yourself. And so a lot of society is unwell. Okay, and I can you can gauge unwellness by where we are. I think as human beings on the Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Okay, the Maslow's hierarchy of needs is a pyramid of all human motivation. The bottom level of the Maslow's hierarchy of needs is your uh, physiological needs. You're not your needs for food, water, things like that. Okay, and so a lot of people in the world they're getting food and water, but they're not getting nutrients, so they're unwell in that regard. They're not getting they're, like they're meeting those needs, but not really. I think that's a big problem for the world. They have brain fog, headaches every day, negative emotions because of the things that they're consuming. They might fill them up in terms of caloric necessities, but they're not filling them up enough in terms of um, actual nutrients. So you need to meet that need. But then when you meet that need, you, you proceed to the need above it. It take, you have to fulfill that lower paradigm, that lower need to advance to the next one. And the next one is safety needs. Okay. And so realize physiological needs is not a statement on other people. 
Okay, it's competitive and it's self-serving. Oh, I just need to eat. I just need to get food. It says nothing about other people. And then you move to the next paradigm once you complete that other paradigm. When you become more well, you worry about safety needs. You need financial safety. You need your home. You know, you need a home shelter. You know, all these things. These beautiful things. Okay, and so that's the next level. And that's like you know, that's a little more well. But notice, even that is not like. Uh, it's not a statement on other people. The only thing safety needs recognize about other people is that other people might be threats and you need to be safe from them. Okay? A lot of people don't have their money needs met. A lot of people don't have their, 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 uh, their housing needs met. And so, you see, just these lower two levels of the pyramid are indicative of what a large majority of the world is experiencing. They're unwell because they're not having these bottom needs met. And then you go up to even more complex needs after that, like love and belonging. It's a pyramid, so we're going to the top of the pyramid. You need to meet a need to go on to the next one. You need to meet the paradigm below a paradigm to go to that next paradigm, to go to the next, next level. And it's a pyramid of all human motivations. Once you secure a need below a need, you move on, you, once you secure a need, you, go, you move up to the next level of the pyramid, and you think about that now. If you're not, so let's say the bottom of the pyramid is physiological needs, the next level is safety needs. Unless you have physiological needs met, you're not going to think about safety needs. If you're unwell, you're not going to take the next step towards wellness. So after safety needs is love and belonging. And then after love and belonging, it's, it's uh, self-esteem uh, or something like that. Self-esteem, I believe. But notice love and belonging, self-esteem, this actually takes in consideration the idea, you know, the, 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 the minds of other people. You're starting to recognize as you become more and more well, other people. And you're starting to feel a need and yearn for them, their opinion, and the things that they think. Wellness is the journey. I mean, the journey towards wellness, the journey up that pyramid is the journey towards collaboration and empathy. At the top of the pyramid, guess what? It's self-mastery. And then on some pyramid models, self-transcendence, which means to literally go beyond yourself. But you, and that's literally the epitome of empathy and collaboration. To stop caring about yourself and go and flow freely and try to help and serve society as much as possible. But most people in society aren't at the top of this pyramid. They aren't anywhere on this pyramid. That's why most people you bump into you feel so different from. Most people don't dream. Because it requires you to proceed up that pyramid and, and acquire a level of wellness to where you begin to dream. Most people aren't that well. And so a lot of ideologies like Black Lives Matter, you know, and all these different things, they proceed through a society who are at the bottom of the pyramid or who are experiencing levels of extreme unwellness to where they can only contort this beautiful ideology into something that's self-serving. You understand what I mean? It's only something that's self-serving. It's only something that's of that competitive and destructive energy mindset. And so everything that comes out of this is destructive energy. It's destroy, destroy, destroy. That's why the, 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 the news of George Floyd's death, no matter which way that you can take it, you can take it a thousand ways, you can react to it so many different ways. I'm getting a bit tired here, I'm sorry. But a lot of people, what they took it as is, okay, it's time to loot. Time to get something for myself. Guess what I'm going to do? I can take it any other way. Time to destroy. There was no collaboration and empathy. They didn't look and say, why did this officer do it? There was no curiosity. What can we do to make, make it so that these officers don't feel the need to react like that, whether it's in their childhood, whether it's in their life? That's constructive. That changes generations. What, don't, what doesn't change generations is to appeal and express unwellness. 
express violence in the world express that lower negative self-serving destructive energy when I was feeling that type of energy towards society towards my parent parents I had one side of the equation which was me I didn't have the other side and nothing ever worked out for both of us for either of us everything was solved all of a sudden when I started to appeal to the other side and started to empathize and collaborate with them and express this giving well beautiful good energy out into the world you know there's so many different ways that you can go I mean that's why one of the biggest principles in the world is seek first to understand then to be understood you want to empathize with people if you want that in return you know and here's the thing about you know the self-serving and competitive energy you know this energy is associated with unwellness which unwellness means like we've seen on the news being facilitated by the lower level emotions you're facilitated by anger grief apathy all these negative things that you feel and they're running your life 24 7 how many how many when's the last time you were happy how many times a day are you angry how many times a day are you destructive but the thing about these and i read they read this a long time ago in a book influenced by robert cialdini violence and things that are violent only lead to cycles of violence you know your anger and this is why i say that i really do hope that the riots cease and that they're being handled the wrong way and that no one should ever react this way is because violence one all of the self-serving and competitive mindset does for the world is create more of that which it already is okay when you hate somebody it's like when it's like you know white people enslaved black people from from africa so what does that create in black here's a simple way to put it abused children grow up to become abusers true or false that's a literal statistic most abused children grow up to become abusers okay when these police ride through the neighborhood and they're violent and they put out negative energy towards these neighbors that they're in what happens people in these neighborhoods begin to lash out and attack police officers and hate police officers they grew up calling them pigs you know the energy that comes from being in slavery for 300 years what results from that is a generation of black people who grew up under parents who hated white people <laughs> believe it or not a lot of black people they have distrust and latent anger towards their white counterparts because of the energy that was originally the violent and angry energy that was originally sent to them the abused children in the house of america are growing up to be abusers and people are like okay that's what they get i don't care that we're abusing people back well one it only ensures that four years from now the same abuse will occur because it's a cycle how many gangs like like kendrick lamar said in one song you killed my cousin back in 81 f your truce how many gangs are feuding to this very day because violence struck out on one side and then continued to go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth over and over and over throughout time how many different cultures and societies in the world are you know constantly going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth because they cannot break the cycle of being angry and being violent towards one another how many abusive children are growing up to be abusive I mean, to be abusers how many revolutions in the world really pretty much all of them 
led to an up, a new upper class forming and more corruption coming from that upper class on the basis of what they experienced. It's all cyclical. And people might say, oh, well, it doesn't matter if you're abusing these people that abuse you. This is retribution. But the reason I say it does matter is because I always say this, man. Anger is not a ray. It's a radiance. Negative emotions is something that you live with. It's not something that you expel towards a group of people. It's a radiance. I mean, it goes out and affects everywhere. It's not a ray. It's not targeted. And so these people who are rioting, what they're doing is they're embodying low vibrational energy is what they call it. The energies of anger, the energies of you know, sadness, grief, apathy, all these negative energies. And what they're doing is not only in an extreme mass event, they're pushing it out into the world around them. And so it's, it's not targeted because it's a radiance. They're destroying their own neighborhoods. They're destroying... I seen a video on Twitter the other day. A car was coming through the hood. People destroyed the lady's car. She had nothing to do with it. She wasn't even a police officer. Because it's not targeted. It's a radiance, not a ray. You know, even beyond that, think about it. Slavery put people in a position where they were poor and they were angry. And that, was, that, that emotion was embodied by the parents and passed down through generation after generation after generation. And what does that result in? Most neighborhoods that are from that era, that are from that emotion of anger and enrage from the things that happened to them, most neighborhoods like that, or most, most of our people that came from that are in the hood, okay? And what is the hood? It is a cesspool of turmoil and violence and killing and crime. It is not a place you want to live. And what do they do? They get so angry at these police officers. They get so angry at the people who put them in slavery. And then it's a radiance, not a ray. They kill the closest person next to them. They kill their mothers. They kill their family members. They kill their sisters. They kill their friends. They kill their community. Because it's a anger, negative emotions, the competitive mindset, the self-serving mindset, it's a radiance. And it won't stop till it destroys everything around you. And, you know, this is a lot of Owen Cook's ideology. He says it's a lot about, like, uh, people who sink to the bottom of their minds. People who are mass killers and who have complete apathy because they've been overtaken by those emotions. What do they do? They go and they kill the nearest people to them. They go to mass shootings with the people in their school, perhaps. And then they go and take their own lives. Because this energy is not something that just radiates from you and it just kills everything in your environment. It's even worse in the fact that it even hates its vest it possesses its own vessel and like a black hole when a black hole is done sucking things up it collapses upon itself so the people who are experiencing these emotions grief anger not only do they burst of rate have a burst of radiance into society when you feel these emotions but then at the end of the entire ordeal guess what happens you end up experiencing the toll of these emotions how much sickness comes from these emotions the, 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 the divorce rate being 50%. You know what I'm saying? What is the suicide rate? How many people have anxiety? Raise your hand if you listen to the podcast. You have anxiety, depression, some type of mental illness going on. A lot of the side effects of harboring these negative emotions leads to a life of turmoil to such a degree that the host of these emotions themselves cannot survive. You cannot survive. You collapse upon yourself and disappear out of existence the same way a black hole would after this finish taking and self-serving and taking everything from this environment 
So the emotions that the riot riders feel, you know, when they join in this gang, when they join in this mask, uh, this mask, not only does it destroy everything around them that they own, that they'll pay for with their taxpayer dollars. I hate when people say that because taxpayer dollars really have nothing to do with anything. I don't even know why people bring that up. But on top of that, they opt to embody emotion that destroys themselves. You know, when you go to work every day, when you are deprived of a good living, you know, and this is something I experienced growing up a lot. You know, when you're deprived of a good living and you go to work every day and you're not happy with the life that you're living, you don't feel those happy, joyful, expressive, expansive emotions, that collaborative mindset, that empathetic mindset, that well mindset, when you don't experience that, you live in a life that is far from your own fulfillment. And being from your own fulfillment, it creates an environment where you can't possibly feel peace. I always say that you have two paths you can go. You can become a king or queen or you can become a tyrant. And a lot of people become tyrants because they don't go out in life and face the, the obstacles and face the journeys that help them explode past those things that they're, they're false beliefs that's holding them back and keeping them unwell. And so I feel like a lot of people, most people, really everybody, unless you pursue your dreams and the things that you want in life, you there's no possible way that you can become uh, the best version of yourself. You can't become well because you'll be stuck in a job that doesn't pay you enough. You'll be stuck in a job that you're not passionate about. You'll be stuck in a position where you're wearing this uniform. I remember feeling like devalued and like trash every single day wearing that freaking Royal Farms uniform, making $9.50 an hour. And coming home just completely exhausted because the work that I was doing was not fulfilling. And so if you look at the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, the pinnacle of health is like self-mastery. You can't self feel self-mastery at a place that's not supplementive of your passions or the dreams that you have for yourself in your life. You'll feel limited and boxed in. And so you'll be forced, essentially, because of the emotions of being limited and boxed in, on a downward spiral of emotion which is like I said why 50% of Americans divorce to where you can't even perceive like you're so low on the Maslow's hierarchy of needs you can't even perceive love and belonging because you don't have money to meet your safety needs that's why most divorce happen because of money you don't have money to meet your safety needs you know your financial security needs you always feel like you're worried about the rent you always feel like you're worried about the house getting you always worried about the car payment always worried 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 you won't have your physical needs met your nutrition, your health, your what you know, all these things won't be met. You'll feel absolutely terrible about your life. And so a lot of these experiences, this is the experience where our parents get trapped in jobs and things that they don't like because they didn't go on the journey of life and pursue their parent, their their passions. And so they never really met fulfillment. And so instead of becoming kings or queens, they become tyrants. And they become home and they take these, you know, these competitive, self-serving emotions out, these these destructive emotions out on the children in the household. You understand how many people had parents that came home every day and were just angry they were just mad because their job sucked and limited in the per limit them to the person limit them in the opportunity of growth as a person limited limited them in their you know their movement up that Maslow's hierarchy of needs and created in them that dissonance that you feel when that thing that type of stuff happens to you your parents will come home and they'll bring that angry emotion. And while they're angry at their employer, it's a radiance, not a ray. And so it'll affect everybody in the household. And a lot of children, for some reason, because of that, they grow up not having the best connection with their parents. 
being resentful of their parents. They say, hey, everybody has a teenage, you know, their teenage years feels, you know, rebellious. And they, like, they hate their parents and they hate the world around them. And I feel like that's BS. I feel like a lot of them adopted that from parents that were stifled by the realities that they compressed themselves into. By parents that had went down a path where they became tyrants. Okay? You don't want to be, this is the gist of it, you don't want to be in a place of emotion where you're you're living those negative emotions. You don't want to be in a competitive and self-serving place. Okay? You don't want to be in a, a destructive and take, 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 take mindset. So the people that feel like, okay, I don't care. And, and, and this goes to prove it, you know, the right, you know, even when somebody else dies, we can't empathize with the person that died in their family. The first thing the self-serving and take, take, take mindset says is, oh, I feel this way. Let me go take something to medicate it. Let me go take a television. Let me go take a radio set. Let me go take stuff from other people. It says, okay, let me go destroy, you know, this destructive energy. Let me go destroy things that have nothing to do with the way that I feel. Target is not the police station. <laughs> you know, the thing is that <laughs> this energy, it doesn't know empathy. And so it didn't, you know, what should have happened was, okay, let me get empathetic. Why did this police officer do this? Why is this happening? Why do these people feel this negative emotion and they want to destroy things? And then you really think about it and you make your own judgment. And even when you make your own judgment, you should come to a place where you feel unadulterated by the emotions of the world in front of you. And you just feel pure empathy and you want to find the best way because just like the businesses, just like the things that I went through, the only way to get a real solution you should find a way to collaborate with this person in front of you. How can we collaborate with this police officer? How can we collaborate with the police force to make sure this never happens again? I just feel like that was the answer. And don't get me wrong, when people do things that are wrong, you still get your penalty. I can collaborate with you, yeah, I can empathize and understand why you did that. I can feel for you and all the pain that you went through that made you put your knee on this guy's neck I can understand why you felt that way I understand you felt this pain and this hate for yourself and this hate for us because of it but then when these things happen you gotta have your penalty but unless you understand why people operate the way they do you can never solve the issue that exists between these two factions you can never have a, a solution without the other side okay that's why a lot of you know my business didn't work because I wasn't trying. I wasn't a collaborative, empathetic mindset, so I wasn't understanding what these customers felt. I wasn't understanding what were going, through, what was going through their brain. Okay, and so what a lot of people are taking it is a self-serving, you know, embodying that self-serving, destructive energy, and they're making these, these, these beautiful movements, and you see these in this everywhere throughout society every movement i'm going to, i'm not really going to name any names but every single movement has this a lot of movement in society are governed by hate you know and this hate causes a division it causes a counter movement to breed you know and i'm not saying these movements their sole essence is hate because a lot of them started with beautiful and core origins but a lot of them have grown into hate because a lot of society, people in society aren't living well, okay? 
So maybe it's like the uh, the minimist movement or whatever, or the men going their own way, whatever it is. This movement that's about men empowerment, but a lot of men just you know they feel a lot of hate because they got turned down, and so they're using this movement through their own contorted identity, their own contorted vision of the world, and they're using it to hate and oppress women. Then they have these things called incels. And so as a response, maybe the feminist group forms. And it's beautiful. It's like we want everybody to be equal. We want everybody to have their rights, equal pay, and all these beautiful things. But maybe some people in that group hate men in turn. And it's like both of the, you know, none of these conflict ends unless we empathize with them. Like, okay, we did these things to you and we're sorry about that. Unless we understand where people are coming from. I remember when the first riots came around. Uh, in the, in uh, whatever year that was 2014, 2015, 2016 whatever year it might have been and I remember it where feeling a lot of hate and vitriol for the police and you know all these things that were happening in the politics and on the media and the fact that they were killing black people I remember feeling all this hate and vitriol and I remember going to school some of those days or going out in public and hearing from different people and hearing different perspectives and a lot of people that I went to high school with or were friends with were popping up on media and surprisingly they had began to birth a new faction called Blue Lives Matter and they had their own flag and you know it had come to a point in time where there was like a bunch of fights a bunch of violence a bunch of opposition that happened between these different factions and that goes to supplement my point you can see it happening in the modern world self-serving and a hateful mindset only creates more of that which you're trying to stamp out. It creates more conflict. It's more cyclical. Okay? But I feel like I've been harping on the same point for a long time. And so I want to kind of switch gears and kind of talk about the enemy of it all. The enemy of design. What has been, create, been created in society as a result of an overwhelming concentration of hate. It's like the, the generic brand of a... Uh, of this mindset because there are different factions that are governed by this self-serving and competitive mindset which by the way before I flip the channel I, wa- I do want to say man you I've ghost written for so many different entrepreneurs and they've because you know they tell me their story from day one to day 100 okay and one of the common themes of their stories is that they go from at the beginning they just want to eat they just want money for their family they just want 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 they just want to they, they just want things for themselves they just want to be famous they just want to be rich they just want to be significant but by the end of their story and this is why entrepreneurship and proceeding on the path is the journey that everybody needs to take like i say you can only you can either be a king or a queen or you can be a tyranny or, or a tyrant you know because this all of them go on this journey and through securing some of the things that they want and being denied some of the things that weren't good for them they go in such a way that they go from being self-serving and caring about the accolades of it that a lot of them turn to altruism and philanthropy philanthropy by the end of their journey because as you secure more cash and what you want you realize that the answer is not in taking and getting more for yourself the answer is not in greed but rather in pushing people out they will ultimately find true joy in serving other people i guarantee you you won't find a single interview of mine from a multi-millionaire where at the end of the interview or as a major theme in the interview, they say they, like they, they don't say, oh, I care about other people. I just want to help other people because that's what they all will say, and they mean it. Because when you go on this journey, you burn. You know, entrepreneurship is, ironically, it's like a self, It's the ultimate self-worth journey. I think Russell Brunson said that. And you become more and more and more refined as you pursue your dreams and your desires 
out of this world. You go up that Maslow's hierarchy of need and you become a person who wants only for the world to experience that which you've experienced. You only want good for them. You only want them to feel strong. You only want people to be happy. That's how you change. You begin to become more well. You begin to feel that altruism. You begin to feel that philanthropy. You begin to feel just empathy for the world and other people. Okay? And that's the journey of becoming a designer. And so, what is the enemy of design is what I want to talk about. So, in essence, we have a group of people in this world, whether they're the rioters, because there are people, peaceful protesters, and I applaud them all day. But we have a group or colony of people, you know, particularly taking on social media, um, saying that violence is the answer. Okay? A lot of people are expressing through Twitter or through Facebook that they want to kill the officer. I don't even know his name. They want to kill the officer that killed George Floyd. That's what a lot of people express that a lot of people want to say. As we discussed, that's obviously a symptom. And you can probably analyze a lot of people's lives and see them uh, performing similarly uh, in other ways <laughs> with different groups. Like, you know, because that's how they feel. But a lot of them wanted to kill this guy. Uh, whatever his name is, the police officer. And so what I want to express on that before closing out this podcast episode, because let's see, how long is this podcast episode going on? Is that in the modern world, we have this selfie, you know, Owen Cook expressed to me in this video that he's making that, you know, people who don't know how to resolve conflict because they can't empathize or understand other people, they don't understand the principles of seek first to understand to be understood, they either err on the side of two paths, silence or violence. And you'll probably experience this a lot of in your relationship. Think about your own personal relationship. When you have you argued with your significant other, or if you had a significant other in the past, and you either just stop talking to them, or you get really mad, and unfortunately it gets out of hand, and you go to blows. Maybe it's a friend, if not a significant other, because I don't want to say anything about that on the podcast. But let's say it's like uh, a friend, you know, of, of a similar gender, and you get to fighting. You know, has that any of that ever happened to you? You get to violence. Or even with significant others, have you break broken stuff or thrown stuff around the house? Silence or violence is where a lot of people find their resolution if they can't because they don't understand how to empathize and diffuse conflict any other way. Okay, they don't understand the tool of collaborating with people and using empathy to do so. And so, a lot of what you'll see in the modern world and society, and this is just my opinion, you know, like all of this is my opinion, I, I can't solidify, like, uh, solidly pin the tail to the donkey on this one and prove it with facts or anything like that. But I feel like a lot of what the world has expressed, even in terms of this police officer, is, you know, it falls under the realm of what I call, or what they call rather, cancel culture. Okay? Essentially, what cancel culture is, is, you know, it's the manifestation on a, a the generic manifestation on a large scale of that identity of, or that mindset of self, that self-serving mindset, that take, 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 take mindset, that me, me, me mindset, that destroy, destroy, destroy mindset. Essentially, what cancel culture is in the modern world, and cancel culture, in my personal opinion, is the enemy of my vision. It's the enemy of our vision. It's the enemy of all design. Because cancel culture says this. These are my set of beliefs. These are my ideologies. And if you don't agree with them, then you're out of business. If you don't agree with them, you're done. You're over with. We, we can't hear from you anymore. You know, we don't care about you anymore. And 
essentially what we know as we discuss through this podcast is the only way to solve the problems that you, in the world that you have between different factions different other people is to empathize with them and use the empathy to actually collaborate with them form the best collaboration for the both of you so that you can both be happy okay historically you cannot find any other way that conflicts have been resolved long term it, it just doesn't happen that way Maybe there are some examples. I need to do some research. Like I said, I'm not the overwhelming force or authority in this subject. But that's generally what you see. You'll see people empathizing with people. And this is a concept that even goes like all the way back to the beginning of time, which I'm surprised is uh, like a lot of people overlook it. You know, a lot of people claim to be Christians and to follow the Bible. But the general idea of the Bible and Christianity is to be Christ-like. And it's ironic that if you go back 2,000 years, the only thing that Jesus Christ taught you was to switch your mindset from that competitive self-serving mindset to the collaborative and empathetic mindset. That's the only thing the Bible taught. Really the number one concept because if you think about the, you know, Jesus Christ dying on the cross, Jesus Christ has these enemies. Okay, it's the king and all the people in the land and Judas and the people who betray him and uh, he can be competitive. And he can destroy these enemies with like the like the snap of his finger, right? It'd be nothing for him. He's like the actual you know, saying the actual Messiah, you know, all powerful and all that. Or, you know, so so these people are out to kid him, out to kill him, and all he wants to do is do good for the world. And you notice as he's going up to be hung on the cross and dies for people's sins, he has all the power in the world. He doesn't need to do that at all. He opts instead to die and be killed by these people, and he empathizes with them, every single last one of them. And he dies. For the people who are against him, who are competitive with him, to collaborate with them and free them of their sins and give them a ticket into heaven. The idea of the literal Bible, the one of the most famous books of all time, the most famous book of all time, and what most people claim to be, the person in that book, Christ, you know, and the identity behind being Christ-like, the whole entire book was just to prove or to promote the idea that, and this is years and years ago, if you want to solve a problem, you have to collaborate and be empathetic with your opposition. People want to create, talk about Martin Luther King, you know, uh, riots are the, are the sounds of the unheard or whatever, the voice of the unheard. But even his ideology and the way he changed the world was, okay, we're not going to compete with these people. We're going to empathize with the way they feel. And then we're going to collaborate with them through peaceful means. Okay, and so people, it's funny, people want to use the figurehead of this collaborative and empathetic ideology to support exactly what he was against, support exactly what he didn't vibe with. Like it's, it's absolutely insane. It's like we live in an episode of Black Mirror. That's what my girlfriend always says. Well, I've been out here so long, the sun came, the sun's starting to come up. But um, yeah, like that's the whole, that's the whole ideology behind it. And so essentially, as proven through all these different conflicts throughout history and the books that most of the world, the most popular religion in the world believes in, collaboration and empathy is the ultimate way to solve any problem. It's the ultimate way that you should live and interact with the world at large. But in the modern era, what we have is this thing called cancel culture is, look man, we feel this way we have these set of beliefs and we're not going to bother to actually empathize with you and collaborate with you and understand the way you feel so we can come to the best solution. We're going to say that our voice as a mass, because only the masses can cancel people, you notice that convenient truth right there. And notice 
a line that Willow said earlier is that generally the mass of people, because they are the mass and because of what the mass has gone through, they do have pain, they do have conflicts, and I do understand that. I do feel the soul and the need to react from every situation that's happened. I can understand why people are right. I know how you feel. I'm a black person. I know how you feel. I can understand why people would do this, and I do feel them. I can rationalize it even. But I just also understand that it's not the right way to handle our issues. Okay? And so, likewise, as the mass, the mass is unwell. The mass is, is, is going through a lot of issues. They're going through a lot of negative emotions. They're going through a lot of, you know, low-paying jobs. And they have all these negative ideologies towards the people who put them in these places. And so, what the mass does, because it only feels that self-serving and destructive mindset, it feels like these are ideologies... And because we have the numbers, because we have the weight in society, because we're the most capital, because we can throw our weight around, because we have strength in numbers, what we're going to do, any ideology that we don't like, we're not going to empathize with them. We're just going to erase them. We're just going to cancel them. We're just not going to listen to them. We're just going to like... Sorry, my mic came on my phone. We're not going to listen to them. We're just going to block them out. We're just going to put our fingers in our ears, ears like children. Oh, we're not going to listen to you. We don't agree with what you say, so you can't have a business. You can't have money. We're going to shut you down because... It's a lot of us in a little bit of you, and so majority rules, and that makes us automatically right. That is essentially what cancel culture is. Cancel culture is, you know, a bunch of people who are in the competitive and self-serving mindset, you know, going to bat for themselves. <laughs> Pretty much refuses to empathize, and because they feel like they have the numbers, canceling out the voices of everybody that they don't agree with. Okay? And cancel culture is... And that's similar to, to what's happening in this case. Okay, so this police officer killed this guy. And so he has the key to, in his mind, in his understanding, the mass movement that we're supposedly against. Black Lives Matter, the riders, they're a mass movement. Okay, the protesters, they're a mass movement. They're not all the same. I do want to emphasize that. They're not all the same. And so the other mass movement that exists is this microphone on or something like that. All right, uh, I'm pretty sure you can hear me. So I'm gonna keep talking. And so the other mass movement that exists is like the Blue Lives Matter, the police officers. And so the police officers are the other mass movement that exists. And just like every other situation in life, like Martin Luther King and the people that are white who want uh, there to be segregation, you know, you have to empathize with them and collaborate with them to have the best deal for both of you, even if you don't like them, so that you both can come to a place where you coexist. And so, you know, what with these two separate factions? And the whole idea of people on Twitter, violence is the answer, kill the police officer. This is just an extreme manifestation of cancel culture if you really look at it. We don't agree with what he did. We don't agree with his ideologies. We don't agree with his feelings. And so we don't want to hear him. Just kill him. Get rid of him. That's exactly what you're seeing in society right now. It's an extreme manifestation of cancel culture. We think he's bad. We don't, we don't agree with what he has to say. So we just won't hear him at all. We don't want to collaborate. We don't want to empathize with him. We don't want to feel him. And cancel culture, in its essence, is extremely negative and extremely bad. As I said before, is because violence and silence. You know, I remember. This is what I have to say. I remember throughout my entire childhood. Tell me, this is something that you experience also. Raise your hand. This is something you experience. I know this is a long podcast. I'm ready to go to sleep because the sun's coming. It's about five twenty a.m. in the morning. I started about three a.m. But tell me, this is something you experience. When I was younger. And I was going through that little Cambrian explosion with all these different ideas that were coming into my brain, coming into my mind. I had all these ideas and I would get excited about them. I would go and tell the world around me. 
and the world around me would be competitive. It would be self-serving. It would go against me. But one of the things that I hated the most that my parents would do was that they would get angry at me and kind of just tell me to stop talking and that no one wanted to hear that. Is that something you experienced? Think about it. When you were a child, when you were younger, if you would just said, okay, I don't agree with what you're saying, whether you were right or wrong, whether they just told you to stop talking, just shut up. Just, just do what you were told. You know, just listen to what they were saying because they're older, they're the experts, and they're always right. No matter who was right or wrong, they would say this to you. How did you feel in those situations? Were you right in some of those situations? I mean, even a broken clock is right twice a day. Were you right in some of those situations? What are some of the emotions that went through your body because they said that? Okay? And if you think about it, you know, even the argument of abusive, abusive, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, but abusive children grow up to be abusers. A lot of the abuses, abuse is emotional abuse. Do you find yourself more often than not silencing the ideas of other people because of this because this actually happened to you when you were younger? Are you finding, and that's why a lot of the world errs on the side of silence or violence in your relationship. Think about in your own personal relationship. Do you just end up not speaking to the person as a result of disagreeing with their claims? Okay? and Or erring, hopefully not, but erring on the side of violence with friends, not with your significant other, with friends. I don't want to discuss with your significant other. Do you get violent with your friends sometimes in order to kind of stamp, or are people getting violent with you in order to stamp out your ideologies? Now think about the overwhelming amount of children in the world who are told, don't talk back. Don't talk back to your elders. Just listen to the authorities in the world. You don't have an opinion. What you're saying is not smart. What you're saying is not relevant. Just be quiet. And think about the person that individual has grown up to be. Think about all the times when you were younger, you said, man, I can't wait till I leave home. Man, I'm going to kill my parents when I get older. I think about all these negative things that you used to say as a result of your ideologies just being silenced. I remember as a child, child all the, you know, particularly talking about the things that I was learning, like real estate, you know, the way the world was changing business, and having my parents for some reason just being mad at me and not wanting to talk to me about it. And I remember in a lot of these situations, just really wanting, not even to, to, to teach them anything, I just wanted to talk and express and communicate and connect with them on these ideas. And as a result of being silenced, a lot of the connection that I felt, a lot of the, the expression that I wanted to give was disrupted. And a lot of these situations just uh, resulted in me not, it resulted in me growing up into a person where I'm very private. I don't share a lot of the things that I felt and a lot of things that I continue to feel with my parents. It, it, that's just true of the matter. And you know, we've grown to a better process than they're my best friends in some of the ways. Um, I've just come to a place where I've been very reserved with the information that I have. They haven't known about a single girlfriend that I had until my current one when like they were kind of forced to know. You know? They didn't know they don't know about this podcast. They don't know that they didn't know about any of my business aspirations. They didn't know anything about it. We, we've been disconnected for a, to a large portion. All my brothers who also agree with this, a lot of us feel disconnected with our parents and that we can't express certain things and certain ideologies to them. Is there a limit or a barrier to the way that you can express with your parents some of the things and ideas that you share with them? You know, is that a very shallow threshold? Are you very secretive in your life and your family? And it, think about it. Were you in a position where they said, don't talk, don't express your ideas? That's kind of what society has done with cancel culture. And the only thing that you do with that, just like with the child, is you create a faction of people that now 
you cannot track the negative ideas that you don't agree with that are moving and entered in, in society. So you lift up the mat sometimes and you see things like incel culture. These incels have killed like 50 deaths are I think are responsible from like can be traced back to incels. But these incels, they hide on these creepy like forums like rather than things like that where general society aren't really keeping track of them. And I don't necessarily know whether the, the best idea, I don't really know, this is all experimental like I said, is to bring these ideas to the surface and bring them to life. But if you want to, you got to empathize with them. You got to collaborate with them. That's the only way to get a better result. I don't know how that can be done. I don't know how that can be facilitated with things like, you know, like horrible topics like rape, genocide, execution. I don't know how you can collaborate with these people. These people, if they do enact on these ideologies, they need their punishment. They need, they, they need, you don't have to feel negative towards them is what I'm saying, but they need a punishment. Justice still has to be served, no matter what that is. If that, I can't imagine a situation that's extreme where it has to be death for that person. But if that's jail for 100 to 200, 300, 400, 1,000 years, I have nothing. I have, you have to do that. That is our obligation to people to deliver justice. But what I'm saying is the idea behind canceling people and silencing voices and marginalizing the, idea, the amount of ideas and the diversity of ideas that can enter a culture, that can enter a society, is the same thing all of us face as different different identities and different people when we tried to bring the diversity of ideas into our household and had them shut down and the parents like, no, just go to school, just go to work and be an ordinary person. Cancel culture is literally, you know, parents telling the children of these generations, the ideology, you know, the, the idealists, the visionaries, the creatives, the thinkers of this generation to just shut up and be what society wants. Be what we feel is right. That's all it is. And this is something, the marginalization of ideas is not something that's new. Cancel culture in the 90s or the 80s before the advent, advent of the internet was just that, okay, rich people or people at the top of the game, whoever it was, own all these industries and they could just blacklist you across the board. If you had an idea that was disruptive to the game, they could just blacklist you and keep you out. If you were a rapper and you didn't sign to a record label, you wouldn't make it. So if they didn't agree with your ideas and support what you stood for, you just wouldn't get signed to record labels. No big deal. Publishing companies, they just wouldn't publish your book or your, your ideas. It's similar to a state-owned media. Like in uh, the 1940s, I believe a state-owned media is like how Hitler was able to like only put his ideas on TV. He had cancel culture before cancel culture. Wake up to that fact. Wake up to that realization. Cancel culture was just blacklisting and state-owned promotion of one idea or privatization of one idea way back in the day. Now what cancel culture is is this. Somebody's coming up that the general society and general world don't agree with. Okay? Or they, they might agree with them, they might not agree with them. But all people have to do is, if you're a big corporation and you see like a competitor that's coming up in the game, all you have to do is dig up his past and like conveniently place it where everybody else can see it and position it in a way like the Doja Cat situation. There's a lot of people like came out against Doja Cat because she's having success and they're saying, oh, well, she was in this incel alt-right group um, and so she's racist. Cancel Doja Cat. We don't want her albums to be successful. We don't want to hear her voice. We don't hear, we want to hear our identity. But upon further realization, we all have to realize that there's no proof that this chat was an alt-right chat. That's just hearsay. Okay? And so the new cancel culture is when big corporations or big identities or people with big names who you're competing with, they don't like your ideology, they want to silence you 
by triggering the sense of morality that, or ethics that society has by positioning what you say, your ideas or your, the things that you believe in, in a funny sort of way. If you're a comedian, you say something that is not necessarily, uh, you know, resonating with the mass, or maybe it is, people will just position that joke in a way where you meant it, you were negligent, you know? Me as a black person, I want to collaborate and empathize with people who are of good energy. I don't care because I'm not obsessive. I'm not, oh, I just want to destroy. I'm not instantly looking. You know, people get on the internet. They're bloodthirsty all day. They go on the internet and they look for something to be angry about because they're obsessed and they're addicted to negativity. They're in that non-collaborative, destructive, self-serving, competitive mindset. They're just trying to compete, compete, compete. And comp competition most of the times means competing for the highest rung of morality. And so they're looking to destroy anything that they can. People get on the internet and look just to look and just crave to tear something down, to cancel somebody. Okay? Cancel culture is a manifestation of the masses' inability to reach an empathetic and collaborative frame of mind. Okay? And so, like I said, cancel culture back in the day, it was just people who were bigger than us and empowered black lip singers. Now it was them taking our ideas and positioning it in a way that allows the mass to do all the work for them. People are being tricked in the modern world. That's what cancel culture is. It's an illusion. It's a trick. Okay? And I think a lot of people are missing out on that idea. That's the difference between old cancel culture and new cancel culture. And I'm actually working on a little book about this. But, uh, you know, that's pretty much what it is. I don't agree with you. I don't like you. So I'm going to shut you down. And as children, think about how that influenced you. Think about how that impacted you. Cancel culture, if you listen to this podcast... You're a designer. If you agree and you want to get your ideas out into the world in the form of mass movements, no matter how unpopular they are, because you believe in that truth, you're passionate about it, you have conviction, that is design. And cancel culture, I'm just going to be quite frank, it is a parasite in society. It's the enemy of design. And you'll see a lot of people taking this stance of high morality, but when you lift up the mat of what they really are trying to do, it's a lot of self-serving, it's a lot of competitive, it's a lot of destructive energy behind it. You know, and the, the, there are so many different factions that are born from this identity of cancel culture. Just recently, one of the most recent factions is the socialist faction on Twitter. Oh, we are socialists. No one should have wealth. <clears throat> when you really break it down and analyze it, I live in L.A., one of the most liberal states on the planet. And I'm not liberal or conservative. Sorry, I'm not picking a side. I'm not Democrat or Republican. I don't agree with Donald Trump or Joe Biden. I don't care about these types of things. I care about the wellness and the well-being of people. Not picking aside, oh, me versus them. I don't care about this. That's the enemy of design. But you can see a manifestation of this self-serving and competitive mindset on Twitter in the development of this new socialist identity. We live in this beautiful liberal state, but how many people in the state are homeless? Hundreds of hundred thousand or something like that, right? And every day, these socialists want to jump on you know, uh, Twitter under the guise of, oh, I want to help people. I want, I want, you know, I don't want people to suffer. I want wealth to be distributed so we can all eat and we can all feel good and that everybody can have their basic needs met. And this same socialist will go outside and walk past a person on the street that's homeless and won't even give them a dollar. They won't even look their way. They won't even give them a conversation. Conversation is free. And they'll use it like, oh, well, they have all the resources and I don't. And so they should be giving them a dollar, not me. There's no compromise. You know, this socialist ideology is just a front to say, 
I'm negative. I'm angry that some people are in. It's funny because in capitalist society, the only way you can get ahead is collaborating with other people. Amazon, Jeff Bezos, their ultimate arch enemy, who they're trying to tear down, has give given 800,000 Americans or anybody throughout the world jobs. Big corporations hire people, and they have an above average wage. They don't have minimum wage in Amazon. They're getting paid, okay. And Amazon as a corporation, think about you know they always say this. This is the this is the principle of capitalism, a merit based system. It's you're paid in proportion to the amount of goodwill you put out into the world. And so people want to take two-day shipping. They want to take this ultimate infrastructure that helps them get served and helps them get paid if you're an employee of that at the highest rates imaginable, okay? They want to take electric cars that save the environment from Elon Musk. They want to take and take and take. But at the end of the day, they're still unable to empathize. And so at the you know they 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 agree and they want to live off the merits of a, a capitalist social a capitalist system but at the same time these people that are helping them and giving them benefit jeff bezos elon musk all these people who have done more you know they're at the top one percent because they've done way more for the world than the bottom 99 percent. okay because you notice that the bottom nine percent the mass is the people who, who create the most wrongdoing in society because you know, obviously, there's just the biggest fraction of people. You go into places like uh, the inner, inner cities of multiple different places. Um, the people who facilitate a lot of these peace, uh, you know, high virtue, you know, you know, dogma for the internet. Oh, socialist that nerd. And these are the places with the worst crime rates and everything else. The worst amount of homelessness and everything else. You get a stimulus check, and no one wants to break off a little bit for the little guy. No one wants to help the the you know the people above them. You know, they think a better ideology and a better tactic, a better strategy is to look at people who are doing as much as they can for humanity and just happen to get compensated for it, and they want to tear them down. That's the irony of all. They want to cancel billionaires. You know, they want to they, they want to cancel people who are doing good for the world. That's just the most ridiculous thing in the world. They want to cancel, and they don't want to empathize with billionaires and say it. They don't want to see the, the reality that a lot of people who are billionaires, they need their net worth to further promote. First of all, their net worth isn't tied in little cash. It's in the business that's only valuable because you guys define it as valuable. And secondly, they need the cash that they're making in order to continue to use the vehicle that they're using to pump out all the benefits that your guys are reaping, that you are getting. People don't want to see that because when you're in a taking and destructive frame of mind you know just like me oh i hate my family people are feeding me and clothing me and putting things on my back and making sure my dreams can come true you're just worried about destructive 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 destroy 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 and so you see cancel culture manifesting in these different types of movements in society um and really being the sole force for the way that society has been decaying it's literally the energy and the mindset of decay. Okay, so I want to destroy the billionaires who are doing, who are responsible for literally the the newest of technology and the best of infrastructures that are serving us in all the jobs that we work. We want to take their wealth. We want to make them the same as us. We want to pull them back to mediocrity because they've somehow managed to pierce through the fog and get excellence for themselves. That is the parasite of cancel culture. And so this podcast is all about how that you can 
learn the, learn the tools of collaboration and empathy and push your ideas out into the world in the form of mass movements. It has to be profitable and probably through your mass movement you'll become insanely rich, you know, because that's what you do when you empathize and collaborate with people in the world. When you collaborate with people, meaning hire them and give them a good deal by hiring them. When you co collaborate with the end user and give them something amazing that they can use like a Tesla or a Cybertruck, something they've never seen before, a car that they can drive around every day. You know, that's what this podcast is about. This podcast is about taking your ideas and pushing them out into the world in the form of mass movements. And I just wanted to conclude that the enemy of ideas is the self-serving and competitive mindset. And the way they marginalize ideas in the modern world is through cancel culture, whether for better or for worse. Maybe it is worse, maybe it is better to, maybe I understand the idea behind canceling this police officer, but it is his ideology. He holds the other piece of the puzzle, you know, to solving the ongoing issue of these riots, to solving the ongoing issue of unjust murder of people in the streets. You know, We've tried to riot in 2014, 2015, whatever the year was, in Ferguson, in Baltimore. I was in that city. But did that stop people from being murdered down the line? No. In fact, a lot of people are probably like, okay, it's us versus them now. Game's on. It's Black Lives Matter versus the Blue, the blue Lives Matter. Okay? A lot of people were promoted to be polarized in 2015 when we were living in Baltimore and hop on Twitter and say extremely negative things, be extremely racist, particularly in the environment that I was living in, the energy happened to just completely shift because it had became us versus them. And so when we take radical stances and we want to riot and we want to protest, you can protest. I, I'm completely pro-protesting, but you don't want to take a violent and self-serving stance against it. You want to empathize, collaborate with the people that you're against. That's the only way to do it because when you take a harsh stance, it creates a subculture or counterculture that's against you. Blue Lives Matter didn't exist until Black Lives Matter existed. And so we're probably heightening the violence, we're probably heightening the marginalization, we're probably heightening the killing because we just want to cancel each other. So you want to bring your ideas out in the world and form a mass movement, but you want to do that from the, the frame of collaborating and empathizing. And the enemy of all of that in the modern world is cancel culture. And so literally, I want you people to listen to this podcast. Like and subscribe if you enjoyed this episode. I want you to join me in our mission to cancel cancel culture before it's too late. Before we live in a world where you can only believe and feel one thing. Before you can only be, oh, do this or you're wrong. Before we can all, before that feeling of when you were younger and they're like, no, go to school, go to work and do this thing that I believe in becomes commonplace in the modern world before it becomes the only thing that you can feel. A diversity of ideas and feelings is what the world needs. Not, oh, let's cancel this, let's cancel that. Me, 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 me. Let's not let the, let's, let's not grow into a world that's just an echo chamber of what one person or one mass believes, okay? We can't push forward humanity unless we empathize, understand, and collaborate with the variance, variance of visions and ideas that exist out there already. And that's pretty much all I have to say. So this is the Grand Design Podcast. The podcast is all about pushing ideas out into the world in the form of vast movements. 
and I'm the host of this podcast, Dallas. And I appreciate you all for listening to me rant for about two long hours. And uh, I'm pretty much going to wrap up this episode. And so um, it's about 5.30 in the morning. It's a beautiful day out here in L.A. Uh, the sun's rising and all that. And uh, I want to say, man, I'm not like the rest of these people that's pig-headed. I want to uh, collaborate with the people who don't understand me, who I don't understand. Okay, so we can finally get rid of this ideology of just canceling people all together. I want to collaborate with you. And so if I've made a mistake or an error, I'm not perfect. I'll contradict everything I'll say in this episode. And that's fine. I'm a human being. I'll make mistakes. I'll be misunderstood. I'll say the wrong thing. And so if I've done that, feel free to correct me. If I've offended anybody, if I hurt anybody's feelings, because that's not what I'm promoting, I apologize for that. Okay? I apologize for that. I do. I want you to be happy. I want you to live a long and fulfilling life. That's all I care about. And this podcast is an attempt for me to express what I think is the way to do that. You know, the way that's congruent with everything that we've been taught since children, especially as Christians, uh, if pe- as people who are Christian. I'm not Christian anymore. I'm not subscribed to any one religion. I'm very spiritual in a lot of ways. But if you're being Christ-like, it's literally collaborate, collaborating and being empathizing, regardless of anything. Okay? And so that's kind of all what I want to communicate. I hope everybody's fine. I hope everybody's having a good day. And, uh, yeah, I'm going to pretty much can't close this one out because I've been ranting for about two hours straight. Uh, if you enjoyed this, subscribe to this podcast. Rate this episode. Share it with your friends. Let everybody hear what we've been talking about today because I think it's some beautiful stuff that everybody should know. Um, rest in peace to everybody that has lost their lives in the riot. Rest in peace to George Floyd. Condolences to his family. You know? really tragedy with uh what had to happen to him not what had to happen to him, what had happened to him and everybody like him and people around the world and all that we've been experiencing and going through at this moment in time i don't want nothing but for a stop to violence just like everybody else what i'm just saying in this podcast is as opposed to riots as opposed to negative empty feelings as opposed to looting as opposed to this mindset that we embody there might be another way. I could be wrong, but there might be another way. I love you, man. And I don't mean man like a man, literally. I mean man or woman. I love you. Podcast. I love you. And I want the best for you. So this is Dallas from The Grand Design. And uh, peace out. Thanks. Hey, what is up, designers? It's about um, 8.54 p.m., the entire next day. Um, so about 15, 16 hours later. And uh, I just wanted to pop back on, on this recording and add a little bit more to what I was kind of talking about with a quote from Martin Luther King that I probably should have included in the podcast, but I somehow missed. Okay. And uh, the quote that I wanted to include, I'm sorry, I'm out here on the balcony if you hear like music and fireworks and things like that. The quote is, and this is one thing that, you know, it parallels obviously with the story of the Bible. Martin Luther King always says, man, dark cannot drive out dark. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. That's kind of what I've been talking about in this entire episode. That kind of encompasses the whole episode in one. It all comes down to love, a branch of love that I prefer 
and I think it's the more specific version of what he was talking about, sympathy and empathizing. So dark cannot drive out dark, only light can do that. And hate cannot drive out hate, only love can do that. Like I said earlier today, man, love you all, man. Thanks for listening to this episode. Uh, I'm going to cue the theme music. Peace out.